You listen to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. And once again, I'm bringing you another episode of In the News. This time around, we'll chat a little bit about the Cal Rittenhouse case, Ahmad Aubrey, among several other things that we should keep in the forefront. I'll be right back. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the 247 Real Talk podcast. It is Wednesday, November 24th, at, uh, just after 11 p.m., about 11.05. And this is the night before we gather all around the country to meet with our families, to, to give thanks, which is what we're supposed to be doing with Thanksgiving Day. Uh, so this is a very special episode since you'll all hear it the day after Thanksgiving when you are recuperating from all that food that you've gobbled down. So there's so many things that I want to touch on, but again, I always say I'm going to try to keep it short, and I will try to do the same again. We'll see how successful I get. It's it's kind of hard to, to decide where to start on this episode because there's so many things on my mind. I don't even have to look in the news so much. Um, I want to start out with telling you a little bit about my day today. I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, 5 a.m., to get into work. Got into work about 7.30. Left work, came home, got back home, I want to say close to 6 o'clock. In between the 5 a.m. this morning I got up and the 6 p.m. I got home today, it was just a, a real stark example of what's wrong with the decisions that are being made by those in power, those in charge. Today was one of the, the days when, you know, people try to leave early for Thanksgiving or whatever. They're gone already. But basically, I got up that early, paid a railroad ticket, Long Island railroad ticket. It was pretty expensive, but I'm, I, I'm out in Long Island, so that's, you know, basically one of my best choices for transportation got into work, sat isolated all day because most people are not speaking to each other, not because we dislike each other, but we simply are all, you know, under the COVID fear and, and the continuous, you know, um, grip that this pandemic has on us, a grip that it's, um, it still has. And, you know, we're, we're, you can sense the discomfort of people being back in the office and not wanting to be there, you know, forcefully there. So they're, 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 I don't even say disgruntled, but yeah, they're disgruntled. They're sad. Um, conversation is very limited in passing. Most of, most if not all, if I think today of my meetings got canceled because it's the day before Thanksgiving. So I basically got up early, paid some money, took a railroad in, sat at the desk, by myself, isolated, when the clock hit that hour, got up, paid some more money, got on the railroad, came home. That is basically how I spent my day. Anything I did in between was paperwork, which I could have done at home. I know sometimes it feels like it's too late to get the powers that be to rethink their decisions, but I'm thinking that maybe, I, I'm, in, I'm in New York New York State, I work in New York City, so maybe New York City will make some new decisions with new leadership to maybe, I don't know, to go in a different direction. I mean, we, we, we can all work together. We can agree to disagree. I don't think anybody should be upset by my comments or, you know, they're not meant to be disrespectful. They're just meant to be um, me expressing my opinion and, and looking at what's going on. Because, you know, some of the things we talked about were like, you know, well, people need to be social. We're social human beings. So we're forced back in the office. And nobody's really speaking to anybody. So there's very little social interaction going on, very little. 
you 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 know I, I've seen stores that were open uh food stores, you know, breakfast, those kind of stores that you know serve breakfast, lunch and dinner, I guess, that were open when I returned to the office that have since closed. Because despite the return to the office, people are not even going to buy food. People are bringing in their food. They're sitting isolated all day because they, they're... And, and, and you got to understand, this was nothing little. It is nothing little. So many of us were affected. So many of us lost people that we we know. So many of us lost family members and, 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 and husbands and wives and children and children and parents and siblings that there's nothing of you know you you can't force us to socialize anymore we have we have changed forever the only thing that has not changed is the people that we have elected to lead us they want to go back right back to where we started and and that is you know people heard me say this in this podcast before and i guess you know right now i'm feeling a little bit i don't know i don't know the the adjective to use but i'm i'm very um passionate about this as I am with many things, but I'm very passionate about this because we have to put human life first. And I think that's going to be the theme for this episode in everything I touch. When you look around the office and you see so many desks are empty, you know that either they represent one of three things for the most part. One, the person that was there died and they're no longer there. And we, you know, sometimes we don't find these things out till, you know, sometime after. Two, they quit because there's so many other companies that recognize that they can get great talent and hire people who are very talented and committed, who were committed throughout the pandemic, who just want the opportunity to work remotely for many reasons. They want to work remotely because they feel safer in their own environment. They feel safe being social with the people that they know that they trust to, to, to be healthy as, as far as they can. They also recognize that their, their, their quality of life was so much better working remotely. It's not about, you know, getting away from doing work because we were, you know, everyone I spoke to, including where I am, we were producing more. We were way more productive when we were home because we, we were able to balance our lives better and we, we found joy in being there for our children and our family. And when we, when we had to get to the job, we did it and we did it from the comfort of our own home and we did it past the time we were supposed to stop. We put in extra hours for no pay just because it was such a reward. Then there's the, the last set of people who have managed to through because of medical reasons or whatever, they are so um, susceptible to to getting COVID if they're in that environment that they've managed to, by for medical reasons or whatever, prove their cases and they they're allowed to work from home. So anyway, that you look at it, there's nothing normal about where we are right now. I think it was last week uh, or the week before I heard our our, our Current governor who took over from Governor Cuomo, Governor Hochul, I think her name is, um, talking about you know encouraging businesses to you know get back to work. Come on, come on back, come on back. We are vaccinated, we're safe. Come on back. Stop the political crap. Nobody wants to go back. Even even the, the Governor Cuomo who was there before her said one thing that I heard, I remember. He said, "We we can never return to normal." There is a new normal. The question is, are we going to act like we're the, the creatures of evolution that we are? Are we going to allow ourselves to grow, to learn from our mistakes, and to create something that was better than before? Or are we just going to say, okay, we're over the pandemic, now let's just pack these people back in like roaches and let's see what happens again. I'd love to find the person who can predict the next pandemic. When it's going to occur. How are we going to find out? How many hundreds of thousands of lives are we going to lose before we figure it out and start to isolate again? Maybe we need to take a pause on going back into the office. Maybe we need to invest some money into the buildings and all the things. If we're that bent on going back for those you know that have to or, or those that are being forced to, you know, invest in the buildings that we're returning to, so we 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 re-engineer them, we reconstruct them to a, to to you know in, in a manner where 
we can still be visually social. We can see each other. We have ways to communicate, but we have we create better isolation because your life, my life, our children's life, our parents' life, or anyone, our family, our friends in society, your lives are worth it. Your lives are worth it to take the time the, and, and, and learn the lessons from this horrible experience to do something different and do something better. So the, so the, 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 the train system is losing money because you are not that many people taking it right now. So we got to get the people back in the city, really. So we have to get more riders on the train so they can make money or they can maintain themselves. You know, who cares if, if, you know, if we do this and sometime down the road, we lose another 200,000 people that die because of this, 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 this disease that spread so easily. Who cares? As long as the train system is making money, then you hear them say things like, well, these mom and pops businesses are suffering. Well, maybe you need to take some of that money and put it into the mom and pops businesses, help them to relocate because listen, we all have to eat. It's not about if we eat. It's not about if we eat in variety. It's just a matter of how the food gets from the same kitchen to our plates. Times are changing. The world is changing. Technology is growing. So maybe I would have a mom and pop store where people came in. I knew everybody's name and now I know your name by the phone and I know your phone number instead of your name. And I make sure I have a system where I have outlets all over the five boroughs of, let's say, New York City or any, any city or state. And I'm able to branch out into, into, into with the help of the government to get a nice startup going where I have, I'm strategically placed so I can deliver the same wonderful food right to my customer's door at their home where they're working. Because if, if, you know, if all these people are not in the city, they're somewhere. And wherever that is, my business will be. That's kind of like the model we already have because the people that, that have the businesses in, this, in the, main, you know, the main cities where that, that have been emptied out by this pandemic, they opened them there because that's where the people were, right? And look, I'm not telling you that I'm giving you some blueprint that's perfectly thought out. I'm just saying that I say this so much that I'm tired saying it. This is what we elect officials for. I was thinking earlier tonight that just day after day, year after year, generation after generation, we the people seem to be the ones that are lagging behind in everything because we still can't recognize that we the people have the power if we learn to use that power. Think about this wild dream for a second. Think about uh, a presidential campaign. Let's use that. And the candidate says they're having a rally. Let's say it's a, and it doesn't matter, but that's for the sake of it. Let's say it's a Democratic uh, candidate. And he tells his people, yo, I want everyone to wear blue. Assuming that, let's assume for a moment that if it was a Republican uh, rally, they would wear red. Just let's assume for a second. So the Democratic candidate gets to his rally, gets up on stage to speak, and when he looks into the crowd, everybody's wearing red and blue. He's confused, maybe even scared, because for the first time in history, something would have happened that changed the way we live for good. And that is the people decided to unite. The people decided to, to, to forget about Democratic and Republican or Democrat and Republican and to vote common sense. The people decided not to go into the booth, and if I'm Republican, I'm going to check all the Republican boxes, or if I'm Democrat, I'm going to check all the Democrat boxes. No, but I'm going to listen to each candidate, and when I go in the booth to vote, I want to vote common sense, red or blue. Imagine what the world, imagine what this country would be like if, if we actually put a model like that in place where a candidate could no longer automatically expect a certain amount of votes because of the 
the party he represented, but actually had to earn his votes, and they came from both sides of the aisle, depending on the common sense he or she is speaking, and for re-election, depending on what they delivered and the truth about their what they promised. I am tired of being the pawn in this game that these people are playing, and generation after generation, you know, it feels like if I don't find some incredible way to get through to some people and to change something now, my grandchildren will be having the same conversation, suffering the same exact fate. And those at the top will continue to laugh and pass down their legacies and their money and their power from, from generation to generation and to still be trapped in that top, whatever, was it 1% of, of, of the population? While the people who do the work, who, who make up the, the majority have the least amount and are fighting each other, have been put against each other, have been strategically manipulated to fight against each other while the people at the top stand there and look at us and laugh. I can imagine a a, a chess game in the White House where they decide who has which side the pawns are on. And the goal of of that specific chess game is to see how many of my pawns will end up fighting how many of your pawns so the king and queen can sit above and laugh. I am tired of people making promises and then giving me excuses of why they can't deliver. This president just pushed for a $1.7 trillion infrastructure plan. And he got the plan, the plan through, and they're all elated. It's got a few good things in it, like some child tax credits. It's always got to have that kind of thing mixed into it, because that's the only way we can get along. There's never a clean bill anyway. But and that's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that, so you're going to fix the roads, and you're going to fix the bridges, but you're not going to fix the people. So at some point, you know what's going to happen here, right? The tolls are going to go up on some of these bridges. Even though they claim right now they won't because we got money from the government. We know, we've heard this short talk before. And those who are wealthy are not going to care that they went up another $10 because for them that's like another penny. For most of us, that, that $10 difference is a meal. Is it, It's time to skip breakfast or skip lunch to get to work. I keep talking about these things that can be done, that the government has the power to do if they stop squabbling, if they stop the, the, the divisiveness, if, if, they, if they, you know, you ever look at some of these politicians and, and, and you know, if one says red, the other automatically says green? The, the, the opposition has nothing to do with content. Its only purpose is to oppose. I keep talking about student loans. I noticed that my podcast episodes are starting to branch out a little bit where people are starting to share them a bit more, and I thank you. But everyone who hears me talk about student loans, I said, you know, I've talked about this enough, and people keep telling me, no, you have to keep going. Whether it's one person or 10 people here, they're hoping that at some point the right person hears it because they are, they are afraid they're afraid because there's so many different scenarios, but the bottom line is when come February 1st, if they have to pay their student loans, they got to give up something quality of life. And for many of them, it's their car that they used to get to work. It's their, you know, they got to go back in and move in with mommy and daddy, give up their apartment. Some are looking at how long they can stay in the house before, you know, foreclosure goes through. And all of this, not because these are lazy people, but I keep saying it because there are all these universities all over the place and people try their best to get educated and the degree is not worth the paper that it's printed on, but the federal government hands these colleges the money and walks away and they don't care what the product is is that's being delivered to the student. They don't care about the, the ability for a student to get a job 
that 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 is there's there there's a relationship between the job they can get with that degree from that college with that name and the amount of money and tuition they were charged. Everybody can't go to a city college, which is probably the best decision. You know, even myself, I probably regret not doing that. But I don't. I don't think at the time they offered what I was studying. I'm not sure, but it's like everybody can't go there. You want to have a, a, a society where you, know, you have a choice of universities and variety and different curriculums being taught, but it has to mean something when you're done. Your degree has to mean something, and it has to equate to what you earn. There needs to be an understanding all the time of what the industries look like, what the, what the likelihood is of getting a job in that industry, and all that needs to be factored in. And until these colleges are held accountable and make sure that they, they have a program, they have an avenue for you to get to the place you need to, to pay them back, then the, they should hold the note and not receive the money until they have achieved that goal. I'm not talking about a lifetime. You know, if a college places me, you know, if, if, if I owe $50,000 and the college places me in the job that's $50,000 a year, I'm making this up, and let's say whatever that algorithm works out to with rent or gas or whatever the case may be, I, it, it means I have enough money to pay back the student loan. And then I, I sleep every day and I don't go do my job or I go steal from the job or something, I lose my job. That's my business. But the college at least was able to show the federal government we placed him in a viable job and they're able to confirm that. Then they get paid. If they don't, they don't get paid. Watch how the landscape would change. Watch how many of these fly-by-night colleges and universities would disappear. And when you work hard and you get your degree, it would mean something. Other than having a degree, other than having a couple of letters after your name, it would mean that I have earned this degree and therefore I'm able to earn a living and I'm able to manage to pay back the government that paid for my education. There needs to be a clean slate at this point. There needs to be re-engineering. The government needs to make this a priority. What the heck are we doing electing all these people to Congress and, and electing this all this whole bloated government and all they're doing is figuring out what they want to fight about, what they think is important. They never care about what we think is important for survival. They talk about it and they talk about it more when it's time for the election, but they do absolutely nothing about it. I prefer a president who is willing to serve only one term, who is willing to risk his reelection to what I always call it, fall on his sword. Fall on his sword meaning that he will, will live or die on his conviction and he will follow through on what he promised. We have a president right now who promised to take relief with student loans. $10,000 is not going to be enough relief. $100,000 might barely cut it. But if you can put $1.7 trillion in infrastructure, if you can send $500 million to, to, to the Middle East and all these places as payoff for, for, for foreign relations, you can do something for the 12 or 13 million American people who are suffering unfairly. The 12 or 13 million people who have these heavy student loans are not going anywhere. Every bit of everything they learned is going right back into this community, into this home, into this society, into this country. Show some decency and do the right thing. Stop playing politics in people's lives. Enough is enough. You ever sit back and listen to some of the things these politicians are fighting about? And they know exactly what they're doing because they make sure that they create such a fight that the people start fighting, the people start choosing sides. And we're fighting each other over something that we have no control over because we're not united. We have no control over the arguments, we have no control over the decision, and we have no control over what's going to happen because we're not letting them in Washington feel the power of the people. And I'm not talking about physical violence here. I'm not talking about, I'm not even talking about protests. I'm talking about action. If we're going to suffer, regardless of what happens, then let us unite and suffer on our own terms and not in the terms imposed by someone.
the minute we show that kind of power, we will change things from the bottom up. They will have to take notice. They can no longer take our vote for granted. They can no longer take it for granted they're going to be reelected. They can no longer play these, these games and say these things to, 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 to incite people and incite division because every time they incite division, they win. The world is changing, but it's not changing fast enough. A lot of people put a lot of weight on the current president of the United States, President Biden. He has to come through with a massive deal for student loans. In case he, in case he ever gets to hear any of my episodes, I'm going to keep repeating this. Let the, the colleges hold the note. Don't give them the money until they place their student at least once in a job with a, for an income that's based on an algorithm that can be worked out that should allow them in, in the current uh, cost of living to pay back those loans. Better yet, start a clean slate in doing so. Wipe out all existing student loans. And for all of those who have paid their student loans, give them a tax break for the next how many years or, or for how many years they paid their student loans. This government prints money all the time. You're not going to have any huge inflation or something because of it. You will have a difference in your country. You will have people who believe not only in you, but believe in, 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 in the United States again. But at some point, we the people, we the people, have to decide that we're going to stop letting a handful of people determine our ability to survive. I think it's only today or, or this week that the president uh, approved the release of, I forgot how many million barrels of oil to reduce the cost of, of gas. But don't you realize this was a game too? We've been crying out about the price of gas for how long now? At what point do they decide, you know what, I'm going to release these barrels? How bad does it have to get? I'm not talking about normal circumstances. Please put yourself in the mind of we are still dealing with COVID. So this whole thing of gas going from $2 something all the way up to $3, I think I paid $3.57 or something for a gallon of regular. This has been going on for a while. While people are still trying to figure out how to get back up, not on their feet, just on one foot from COVID. I've read so many stories where kids are living alone now. They've got a, uh, I'll call them kids, but they've got an 18 year old, 19 year old in the house with younger siblings because both parents died from COVID. So many stories about the breadwinner dying from COVID. And the, the, the other person who was a homemaker was, you know, they, they, they don't have an income. Or people who are depending on, uh, you know, lost their, their, their spouse and their, their, and their job and their un, un, uh, unemployment. And then they, you know, that, that extra cash that the government was given is now gone. And they can't afford to pay rent, much less pay a student loan come February 1st. And this White House that's supposed to be so compassionate had the nerve to say, that's the last time we're going to extend it predicting, seemingly playing God and predicting that come February 1st, all these things will be back in place and the world will be perfect, their perfect world again, not ours. The day that we decide to stand united as people, the day we stop hating each other disliking each other, not tolerating each other because of the color of our skin, because of the texture of our hair, because of the accents when we speak, because of where we come from, because of our past, because of who we were associated with at one time. The day we stop doing those things, 
the day we can figure out we the people, so much changes. And don't tell me it can't change because I'm gonna I'm gonna use that as my segue into the Ahmad Arbery case. I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast will know that case of the the young black man who was running in a white neighborhood and three men decided that there was some crime or three men heard of some crime committed and decided that he was the perpetrator, chased him down, ultimately shot and killed him in what they claim was their attempt to make a citizen's arrest. Today they were found guilty and barring any successful appeal, when it takes a while for that anywhere, they're likely to get life in prison. I think the only caveat is whether or not the government will say, the the judge, I'm sorry, will say with or without parole. Now let me tell you what's significant about that because I'm not making this a black or white issue even though they did. What I found powerful about it was, I'm not sure I can recall another case in a, in, in a part of the country like this where the jury was 11 whites and one black and they convicted. What that says to me, at least from my perspective, is not just that the change is going to come. It says that with all the effort we've made to bring the spotlight to the injustices and to the systemic racism and to the prejudices that are hiding underneath the surface, a change to some extent has come. I am impressed that a jury with such a makeup had the ability to look past color of skin, had the ability to look at what happened that day, what three human beings did to one. This is not about color. It's not about, I have friends of every single race. I have white friends, black friends, Spanish friends, you know, you name it. I've been around, I've met a lot of people. None of that matters to me and should not matter to anyone. The only thing that should matter is humankind and the act that was committed was wrong. I applaud us as people, even though I know there are people all over this country condemning the decision because they can't see past color. Because they, they still think that they have some right to superiority over another race. But it's, it's, it's very heartening to see that the change is coming. It's way too slow and for many people it's way too late. For Ahmad Arbery it's way too late. For his family it's way too late. But if there is a silver lining... You know, what did the Martin Luther King say? He had a dream that one day all men shall be, shall be treated as equal. That time has passed. It should have been done already. Now, on the same hand, I'm going to say something else here that might be controversial. And again, I'm going I'm I'm to pause in the middle of this rant that I'm having to, to make this disclaimer to everyone again. Real talk is real talk. That's what this podcast is about. It's about sharing our ideas. It's about finding common ground. It's about to having real conversations about real issues, not in a heated manner, not in a disrespectful manner. I refuse to accept any emails from anyone who feels the need to lash out at me personally or to call me names or to do, I will not. I want to have real conversations. You do not have to agree with my perspective or my position. And you've, you certainly can, can, can you know, email me with yours. And if, and if you feel that conviction really strong and it's an intelligent conversation, you can certainly come on the show and we can have this conversation or debate before the world and at the end of the debate we can either come to a place of agreement or we can still go forward agreeing to disagree 
But one of the things I've seen going on, and I'm, you know, I keep digressing, but bear with me, because as, these, as I speak, these things come to mind. I see how people lash out on, on, on social media and they disgust me. I have a few friends that do it, and I, I struggle with, 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 with whether I should block them or not. I don't block them. I haven't yet because I've known them for so many years. And I'm still trying to determine whether it's, it, whether it's uh, prejudice or just ignorance. People that call our current vice president names, like they, like, you know, horrible names that you would almost believe that they know her personally, but they don't. People that have the, the, the need to lash out at people with the nastiest uh, verbiage and the nastiest comments just because they disagree. People that put, you know, um, labels to other people just because it's something they believe in or disbelieve in. People that are, are, are so self-centered and, and I want to say so small-minded that they can never grasp the bigger picture. I saw, I saw a comment earlier today of, of something going on somewhere and the, and the, the person said, oh, you know what? They need to Rittenhouse that. How stupid is that? When are we going to grow up as people? And, 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 and let's talk about that for a second because that's where I was going. And again, I made that disclaimer because some people, obviously, even my own people who stand with me and agree with a lot of, a lot of what I have to say will probably dislike what I have to say now. But when I, when I planned to do this episode, I was really hyped up and angry about the decision in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. A lot of people out there talking about the lack of justice in that case. My father is a retired judge. I often get the benefit of debating things with him. And a lot of times I'll be emphatic about something I'm talking to him about, and I said, yeah, but dad, this, this, and that, and the other. And he'll say to me, what you're saying is logical. Your ideology is, is great. But it is not the law. And it takes a while for that to sink in because we all want justice and we all have our version of what we think justice should be. So when, when the decision was made in, in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, Myself, like most other people were, or many other people were shocked, but I'm also someone who has had a lot of training in, in firearms and those things, and I understand the Second Amendment. I support it because I think that if you go into the deeper conversation you'll, and you get rid of all this, this society noise about it, there's a meaning behind it, and we can also have that conversation. Don't judge me because I said what I said. Understand that you need to have the conversation with me first, but... I say that to you know to say that in that case I felt like everyone was feeling and 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 in preparation to have this conversation I decided, I was flipping through YouTube and they have the entire testimony of Kyle um, Rittenhouse on YouTube it's hours upon hours and I listened to it almost all of it to the end and I'll say this to you he did some stupid things. He did some immature things. He did some things based on, again, his immaturity. I think he was 17 at the time, not quite 18. I think he was, he had a certain bravado and, and you know, somewhere deep inside here, he maybe had some sort of privilege he felt because of his color. He made some decisions that I wouldn't have made. Um... He had, again, he has certain bravado, maybe because of the, the having the ER-15. But the trial is not about you know, whether you made stupid decisions walking down the street and even going there. Because, you know, as, as, I, as I watched the, 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 the um, cross-examination by the prosecutor, he was trying to paint this you know, picture many times of, you know, you had opportunities to leave. 
You realized that this was a was a mob. You realized that this these protests were angry. You could have gone home. Why did you? Why did you? Why did you? And that all makes sense to all of us. Won't argue there. But remember what I said. We're dealing with the law. And the issue, if you listen to all the cross-examination, if you listen to his, his the defense attorney question him and then the cross-examination, and you put it all together, you realize that what the jury really was fixated on was what happened in those moments surrounding the actual shooting because there was no antagonism prior to by uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. He was, there was another gentleman there who was uh, a bit antagonistic. I think he was, ended up being one of the victims. But in the moment when the shooting happened, According to the testimony, not according to my opinion now, let's get this right. According to the testimony that I heard, you know, the live test or the recorded testimony, which was live at the time in the courtroom, if you put together what the defense attorney said, what the, you know, and his questioning and the answers were, et cetera, at that moment, Kyle Rittenhouse was in the position, it was in a defenseless position except for his weapon. He was being he was not the aggressor. And there is something called stand your ground. Now, you may not like it, but it is the law. And I, and I found myself, and I, and I, you know, I have a friend of mine who's, who's really into activism, and, and I kind of asked him to, to, to go over this testimony that he heard with me, and then I asked him, I said, would you, what would you have done? And I'm talking about someone of color. I'm talking about a black man. And he looked at me and said, now that I've heard it, I don't think I could have convicted him either. It's easy for us to become you know, passionate and become angry and become, you know, and, 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 and look at these things. But it's important, it's so important that when we're going to stand on a position that we need to understand two things, what really happened and what the law says you can do about it. Listen to my words. I am not saying that what he did was not avoidable. I am not saying that I don't feel that he has culpability because had he not gone there, and there's a few things that happened. There was a reporter that asked to interview him you know, during the night, and he told the reporter, I think the reporter asked him if he was an EMT because he was, he was going around uh, asking people if they needed help, and, and he said yes to the reporter, I'm an EMT, and then on the, on the witness stand he said yes, he lied because he's a cadet for, or he was a cadet for a fire, um, a fire service or whatever. And so they, he learned um, basic life-saving techniques, but he was not an EMT. What possessed him to go out there that night is probably a mixture of many things. I don't want to call him out because it's not my place to do so. But there's probably many things that he needs to work on within himself that caused him to go out there. And some of them are probably very ugly things. And if you read between the lines, you know what I'm saying. But in terms of what the jury heard, in terms of what the prosecutor was able to get out of the cross-examination, and, and in terms of what the, 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 the defense attorneys were able to picture, they were able to paint, and, and, and isolated to that moment... The, the, the best case scenario for those who feel they were cheated would well, it could have been a hung jury. But it was, I don't think, I mean, and I challenge you all to, you know, go on YouTube, listen to, it's a long, it's hours of testimony, but go listen to it if you are really invested in this. And then let's have that conversation and tell me honestly from the bottom of your heart based on what you heard and based on the law. Again, not your personal feelings. This is not a debate on the, on the stage. This is law in the courtroom. What, what, what do you think would have happened or what do you think he would have done? It's a shame that people had to lose their lives and the protest was over some, an, an action by, I think, a police officer that they felt you know, shot someone that that shouldn't have happened. But a lot of us are so amped up 
from being from being prey for so long. We are so amped up from from injustice for so long that the minute we hear a confrontation between the black or white or something, and, and we automatically are angry, automatically jump to conclusions, and that's human nature because we are angry. We don't care about the you know the one or two victories because we've been defeated for so long. But even in, in you know, I mean, I also can't tell you that in um, if, if the roles were reversed and if it was you know if the shooter was not written out, but it was a black guy and it was he, you know, I can't tell you that the result would have been the same either. But not because of the law, but because of prejudice. And that is something we can't get away from. It it just is what it is. There is one thing peculiar about the case that I can't get past, and I'm not sure what to think about it. But at the beginning of the trial, the prosecutors were referring to the two men that died and the one that got injured as victims, and the judge uh, forbade the prosecutor from, from using the term victim. And the two people were shot, and you know, let's, let's let's put aside the one that survived for a second. The people who were shot and killed, they're dead. Now, I don't know if there's a definition that says a victim has to be a nice person or not a nice person. So I looked in the the the, um, the dictionary as the real definition of victim, just for the hell of it. And I, at that point, I just don't understand because to me, that's that's almost influencing the case to a certain extent. Let's try something out here just to see my point. And I hope you can hear this. Hey Siri, what's the definition of a victim? Victim means a person harmed, injured, or killed as a result of a crime, accident, or other event or action. Victim means a person killed or harmed whether it's an accident, whether it's a crime. So I'm sorry, but I, I think the judge got it wrong in that case. I think that they were victims, and I think that when a prosecutor can't refer to them as victims, you know, all of that um, affects his case. I'm not saying the result would have been different. I'm just, I just don't understand that part of, of, of what happened. So... Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know where we go from here. I, I'm hoping that we just don't, you know, have to keep going down this road. Um, if you've listened to my past podcast, you would remember I had a an episode with a gentleman named Paul Nutal and his wife. His wife name. His wife's name um, escapes me at the moment. But basically, they have a show on TV in LA, I think, and their whole purpose is to help to free people who have been in jail for years and, you know, different type of innocent project type of uh, organizations that have been working and they have been freeing them. And after that episode, I received an email just about maybe a week and a half ago from someone who told me the whole story about someone who has been in jail, I think 20 something years now based on one white one. So a black man, based on the testimony of one white witness who has since recanted their testimony and has vehemently, um, or maybe that's not the right term, but has aggressively come out to say, you know, whatever they did was wrong. And that the person who's in jail for 20-something years should never have been there because you know, it wasn't the truth. And isn't it amazing how you can have someone convicted on one person's testimony and the person comes out and say, look, for whatever circumstances, I'm sorry I did this or whatever. We're not going to talk about whether they should be prosecuted or not because they should. But the point being, even after the person comes out and even after you look at the case, the, the, the person who's been locked up in jail for 20-something years now spends another two, three, four, five, six years in jail fighting to get out. And you look at the original case, you know, the person, the, 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 the prosecutors were, the team was loaded and the, and the, 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 
the, the, the colored minority uh, defendant had a public defender who you know, didn't know his head from his toe and didn't stand a chance from the moment he walked into the courtroom. I'm hoping as time goes by to join forces with Paul Nuttall and his organization in some way, shape, or form. Because I can't imagine what it is like. This, this life, I don't know how everybody looks at their life, but to me, this is a gift from God. It is so precious. I think when we're young and we, we take so much for granted, but as we get older, as we see people our ages, as we're growing up, lose their life, you know, one way or the other, whether it be illness or accident or whatever, as we've lived through a pandemic and watched friends and family, you know, say, see you later one day and you don't see them later. Next time you see them is via Zoom at their funeral. As you, you look at your children's eyes and see how much they depend on you, how much they love you unconditionally, you begin to realize how precious the real value of this life that God gave us. And, and, and for people to take this gift from God away from so many people, and over the years they've been person after person after person freed because they were wrongfully convicted. And to think that the, 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 that precious life that we hold on to is snatched from someone because of the color of their skin. What, can you imagine what it would be like to sit in jail for 20 years knowing that you, you wouldn't even know what the heck the person was talking about. You don't know what happened and you don't know how you got there. You just realize that life was still precious so to survive it, you have to figure out how to live in jail and just chalk it up to bad fortune. The people who put you there walk around in freedom. I'm not talking about the prosecutors and stuff because they did their job many times based on the evidence they had or the lack of evidence or whatever you want to call it. But the person who lied, the person who was directly responsible for that innocent person being in jail is walking around free. I'm not even sure if they're walking around with guilt. Some of them may have convinced themselves that what they did was right because they're prejudiced. So it had to be the black guy. It had to be the colored guy. It had to be the Hispanic guy. And now we're finding out with technology and DNA or whatever, and yet we are so slow to get these people out. I want my president, whomever that president is, to earn the right for us to say as people that we are confident and proud to call them president. I want them to take on the hardest of challenges and be willing to give up their second terms and re-elections to achieve. I want them to do things that are unprecedented to help people like wiping out student loans, like making universal health care even better, things that preserve lives, things that give people a chance in this world and their children. I want them to stop turning a blind eye to, to, to illegal activities and making deals and allowing illegal activities just to accomplish what they want. At the time that I'm recording this, it is now midnight. So it is now officially Thursday, November 25th, 2021. It is Thanksgiving Day. And as a Christian, Christmas Day is one of the most, the, the, the holiest days, one of them, celebrating the birth of Christ. And Thanksgiving is also a day of thanks, but sometimes we don't put the emphasis we need to put on it. On this Thanksgiving Day, and I know you'll be hearing this when you hear this episode, Thanksgiving Day would have just passed. 
because you hear this tomorrow on the 26th. But on this Thanksgiving Day, even if it's even if it's belated thanks, I want everyone to take the time and a moment to really give thanks. Just to not take anything for granted for a moment. To sit silently and feel your heart beat. As you feel your heart beat in your chest, recognize that that is a privilege and say thank you. Say thank you for those who have lost their lives fighting to make our lives better. Say thank you that we are still here living through a pandemic that took over 5 million or has taken over 5 million people so far across this world. And make promises, make new promises that we stick to in honoring God, in honoring our Creator, we must do better. From the President of the United States to the governors of states, to the mayors, to the, to the Congress people, to the senators, to representatives, to all these people. The day shall come where every knee shall bend and every head shall bow. None of it will matter. The color of your skin will not matter. The amount of money you have or the amount of money you cheated someone out of will not matter. The amount of lies you, you negatively impacted and took things away from so you could be more powerful does not matter. The amount of promises you broke to make yourself better or to, or, to, or to earn your re-election won't matter. If one thing this pandemic should have taught all of us, whether we did it via Zoom or we got the ability to go in person, when the journey is over and you lie there, eyes closed, heart no longer beating, all that matters is what you did, what you did to stand out as a human being, what you did to save or help or make one life different in a positive way. Those who we've elected that have the ability to do it for so many, forget about the votes. Forget about what people will think. Look deep within yourselves and recognize the power you've been given to change the world, then do yourself and humankind a favor and change it. I want to say a very special thank you for you once again allowing me into your homes, taking the time to listen to the 247 Real Talk podcast, allow me to share my perspective and for you sharing yours with, my, with me. I am thankful. On this Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for life. I'm thankful that I had COVID and made it through. I'm thankful for all of you who support me, who push me, and who join me in making our voices louder. So at some point, we will leave something for the next generation that's a movement that's already on the way to getting back to the place or to getting close to the place where God really intended us to be. Remember that you can listen to this episode and every episode on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to join me in this journey, if you'd like to leave me a message, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving. And whatever you do, be thankful for those around you 
Be thankful for being here today. And until we do this again, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>